0: we are continuing our series on what it looks like to follow Jesus in our day how to keep the plot not to lose the plot but to remember what is most true and today we are going to be looking at the role that groups play in our life groups what i mean by that is what we normally in church world call small groups they go by many names. You may have heard of them. You may have been a part of them. You may have had all kinds of different experiences in them. They go by the names of life groups, community groups, gospel groups, DNA groups, missional groups, koinonia groups, fellowship groups, on and on and on. Right? It went sometimes because I jokingly sometimes just call them adjective groups. Fill in your adjective for the group. Right? And and in these groups we have all kinds of different experiences. But the the question becomes. Why do churches have things called small groups of some sort? What role do they play in our lives? And I think they've become almost kind of passe, just something we assume, where it's almost kind of like, oh, small groups, small groups, uh, blah, 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 right? And our, our eyes kind of glaze over. So what I want to do is I want to start by kind of capturing the essence of what I think a, a group is supposed to be in our lives. What God intends for a group, a group of maybe 10 to 20 people, kind of a tribe that we're a part of, what God intends for it to be in our lives, I think we all desire it. I remember as a kid where I really first realized that I desired to be a part of a group, that I needed a group in my life, was my obsession with Robin Hood, and specifically the cartoon, and, and you remember the this is called the the merry band, the 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 uh, what was it called the the merry men, Robin Hood and his merry men. Are there any Robin Hood lovers out there? Right, y'all are too young for Robin Hood. Right, there we go, one, one. I used to walk around with this bow and arrow with suction cups on the end, and I used to follow around. I make all the other kids play the 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 merry men, and we run around, and I try to capture flies on walls. It was, I was a weird kid, but I needed, I loved having that group in my life. And then as I got older, I, I loved stories like Band of Brothers and kind of what this group was in one another's life as they, they fought in battles together. And then for some of you, it may be being kind of captivated by things like Lord of the Rings and the Fellowship of the Ring. These groups capture something. And, and I remember as I got older, though, I realized something about all these groups. I realized none of them were living a lifestyle that I wanted to live. (laughs) I realized they were all in danger constantly, right? They were were all on the run. They were all living out foraging in the wilderness and hungry all the time. Uh, But yet there was something that they had together as a group, something that I knew deep in my soul that I longed for. Why? Because they reinforced to one another what is most true. They reinforced to one another, there's something bigger than just living for the comforts of this world, of just going through the motions, and and they had that thing in common. That thing united them, whether it was a mission or some virtue or something they stood for. They had that in common. They remembered and reinforced to one another what was most true about the world and who they are. They weren't settling for the fictions of the world. They allowed them to face uncertainty, hardship, to, to mourn with one another, to support one another, to celebrate with one another, to, to feast and dance, right? And play their little fiddles around the campfires at night and celebrate. There was a quest that they had, the sense that no matter what life brought, they had the one thing that mattered, the thing that was most true and united them and they reinforced it with one another. See, the reason why we long for a group, the reason why we need a group in our life, a small group of people who know us, and we know them, who do life together, who support one another, who walk with one another, we are deeply known, the reason why is it reinforces what is true. See, last week we looked at why do we gather every week, Why do we do this thing we call going to church on Sundays? And we saw that it's so that we would retell this story. We'd be reminded of what is true regularly and be realigned to that. The reason why we have groups in our life is they reinforce the story in our lives with one another, like mirroring truth to one another. We, I introduced this phrase last week, emancipation comes through participation. Emancipation, freedom from the fictions of this world. Freedoms from getting just caught up in the the lies that swirl around us and forgetting what is most true. Emancipation comes through participation in things like the gathering on Sundays and things like groups and actively participating in them. It frees us from the fictions. And groups specifically by reinforcing what is true to one another. So this is key. Groups, the the community that we have in our life, the fellowship that we have with one another, will reinforce the story that we live. The question becomes, in the kind of community or groups that we create, that we participate in, will they reinforce fiction or will they reinforce what is true to one another? So what we're going to look at today is how groups can help us know love and obey Jesus, how they point us to what is true. And then also we're going to consider along the way what are the ways that it actually can distort, that they they can actually facilitate the fictions. So here's where we're going to go. One, why do we desire a group? We're going to go, why? Why this desire for a group? There's actually profound truth in us as human beings why we desire groups. But then second, how groups can reinforce fictions. So where do we distort it? Where do we go wrong? And maybe it will make sense for some of us where groups we've been a part of, especially in Christian community, have fallen short or even reinforced unhealthy attitudes, patterns, and then third, how groups reinforce what is true. And, and what we're going to look at there is how we do groups here to, to, as a way to reinforce what is true in our lives with one another. So let's pray and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this gift that you've given us of, of groups, of community with one another, of, of life-giving, knowing and being known. Say there is a time to, to mourn. There's a time to be joyous. And, and Lord, we thank you that you give us, you, you give us shoulders to weep on. You give us arms to embrace us. You, you give us hands to, to provide when we when we have need or we have lack. Lord, we thank you that you give us friends that that tear up and jump up and down in celebration when there's breakthrough in our life. Lord, we thank you that you've given us groups in our life that, that mirror to us the truth of who you are and who we are. And so, Lord, would you, and, and for each of us, whatever steps there are for us to take next from this, Lord, Spirit, would you just impress upon us what those would be? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why we desire a group. Now, what's interesting here in this passage in Acts 2 that we read in the Scripture reading, we're going to be looking at this famous passage where kind of the first, it's kind of the classic passage for what the church looked like right after, right after Jesus ascends to heaven and the Spirit falls on the people at Pentecost. And this, this group is, is formed. And it's, it's interesting because as soon as they've heard this speech from Peter in Acts 2, this lengthy speech from the beginning of Acts 2, where he recounts all of redemptive history and how God has been at work and the salvation that's found in Christ. As they hear that and all these folks come to Christ, they begin to form these groups where they do life with one another. And it's interesting if you think about it that the very first thing they seem to do after they come to Christ is that they form a group. Think about that. Think about how many things in our life that the first thing we do as a response to it is we form some kind of a community or some kind of group around that thing. It, it's, it's almost so obvious that when I, when I say it, it's almost like saying, you know water is wet, and you're like, thank you, right? Why, why is it wet? Why, why do we form groups as human beings? Think about it. As soon as something happens, we form coalitions. We form groups. We form, we form teams. We, we form clubs form committees, we form parties, cliques, right? Why? There's a phrase that perhaps you've heard us say here before. It is a profound truth that is at the core of Christianity, that is unique to Christianity, which is that we are made from community For community. We as human beings are made from community for community. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that we are made by God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the perfect eternal community. And we are made in God's image, And one of the irreducible parts of who we are as human beings made in the image of a God who is a triune community is that we are social. Think about it. Relationship is part of what constitutes God's very being. He's one God in three persons. God is not God without Him being Father in relation to the Son, in relation to the Spirit. God is a triune community. God is in relationship and when God designed us he made us in his image and part of being made in his image is that we also he said let us let us Genesis 1:26 make him man in our image we are made in the image of a relational God, and therefore we are relational beings. Every one of us, it's, it's unavoidable. It's an irreducible part of who we are. It's an unavoidable reality of human existence. Every one of us is born into a relationship. Every one of us is born into a relationship to our mother. Every one of us is born into a relationship of a family. Every, many of us have siblings. We're born into a, a village, a city, a network of relationships. We are relational beings. This is why we long for relational intimacy, to know and be known, to to have meaningful life-giving relationships. This is why we desire lives that are highlighted by joyful scenes with friends and family, with our church family, joyful scenes where we rejoice together at holidays Birthday parties, rites of passage, that, that others gather around us and, and, and celebrate and jump up and down when, we, when there are successes in life. This is why on the flip side, we also desire when we're in the midst of mourning and the hardest times of life. We desire that someone in some sense is there to lean on in the midst of trials, that, that there are shoulders there to weep on. Conversely, it's also why isolation, loneliness, are, are among some of life's deepest pains. It's why one of the harshest forms of punishment is solitary confinement. Because we are made for relationship. Our, our yearning, in other words, for community, for fellowship, for a group, is not a bug. It's a feature because we're made in the image of a relational God. It's why we love the idea of the merry band, of the group on a quest, because we need it. And it's not just that on a horizontal level that we're meant to just have it with one another, but it also the reason that longing of what we have for with one another to experience with one another that horizontal experience, is because there's a a deep vertical longing within us that it points to. That ultimately are the groups that we're a part of and the relationships we're a part of, they kind of echo this reality in our soul of what we're meant to to long for or what we do long for and this ultimate reality we're meant for, which is that we be in relationship to God. It orients us to who we are created to be. That because we're made in the image of God and we're made to know God, to have life with Him. It means that we're meant to delight and join in that love of the Godhead of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and delight in what God delights in to be. In other words, to be worshipers, to be people who live, as it says here, when they gather together and they come together in 44, it says, all who believe are together, all sorry, I read the wrong verse, 43, all came upon every soul. There's a sense of awe in being God's presence that we long for. Uh, but not only that, but we're, it says in Scripture that we're made children of God, that we're part of the family of God, that we belong, that we're not orphans, that we'll never be abandoned. We're worshipers, we're family. And it also reminds us of what is true of us is that we're missionaries, that there's some kind of a mission that we're called to. There's some kind of purpose in the world that that when God created, in Genesis 1, it says that he made us be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, exercise dominion. We're meant to steward our lives. There's something we're meant to do in cultivating that very delight and glory of God out into the world through our jobs, through building families, through being involved in neighborhoods and relationships. The horizontal relationships remind us of what is most true of that vertical relationship with god and so those relationships with one another can reinforce that that is what's most true of us and what we were created for now before we get to how do we do that how do we reinforce that in other words how do we have a healthy community what does it look like first i want to look at what are the ways that groups can actually reinforce a fiction they can reinforce ways of being relating that reinforce things that are untrue, reinforce lies. And I think this is incredibly important in our day where I think we're, we're finding it harder and harder because we're able to live isolated because of technology and our lives are very transitory and whatnot, that it's getting harder and harder to really find the ground of of what is a healthy relationship with others. And so sometimes what happens is groups just begin to reinforce fictions. So, what happened, it's helpful to start with why this group formed in Acts 2. They formed because they discovered the gospel. You can see this back in 2.38. It says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, so what Peter does there is he says, there is something true here, He says, you were meant to be in relationship with God, but that was broken, and God, the gospel is fundamentally a reconciling message that that relationship to the God of the universe has been reconciled. How? Through the truth of what Jesus Christ has done that the Son of God came into this world and took on human flesh, lived an obedient life, and died the death that we deserved in our place so that his righteousness might become our righteousness, we might then also be welcomed back into the presence of God and into relationship with the holy God of the universe. And the only way that can happen, though, is by the grace of God. So you have two things that are coming together there. You have both the truth of who God is as a holy God and the truth of our state that we're sinners. But then also this truth of the grace of God, that God has made a way to overcome our sin, to overcome that alienation, that separation from him, so that we might be in relationship with him. There's a pastor, Tim Keller, he said it like this, the gospel says, you are more flawed and sinful than you knew, but more loved and acceptable, or accepted than imagined. It's the message of the gospel. It is true that you are more flawed and sinful than you ever knew, but you can be more loved and accepted than you could ever imagine. Truth and grace. And this is exactly what we see as they begin to form this community. Because look at what verse 42 says. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to truth. They, they, what is true? What sh- how should we think about the world? How should we think about life? Will you teach us truth? And they made known to them truth and the fellowship. So then they begin to, to kind of gather around as a group. Fellowship here is the Greek word koinonia, and it just is this word that's unique, where it means like this partnership around something that, that unites you in living life together. One of those is truth and to the breaking of bread and the prayers As we'll see in a little bit, the breaking of bread and the prayers is this picture of what Jesus did in the Last Supper where he broke the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. It's a remembrance every time they get together because they hear truth. My goodness, this is who God is. This is the state I find myself in. How how could I ever be in relationship with God? How could I ever have healthy relationship with one another? And And then what they hear around that is this is the way and the breaking of the bread. Jesus says, my body was given for you. My body was broken. My blood shed so that not only could you have entrance into relationship with me, but also then that would lead to healthy relationships with one another. You'd be reconciled to one another. Truth and grace. Now, those two, you could say, are vital ingredients for a healthy community. We need truth and we need grace. If the groups that we're going to be a part of, the relationships we're going to have are going to reinforce what is true, but often what happens is it's exactly one of those things being eliminated or both that we experience in groups, and it helps us understand why the groups are a part of reinforce fictions, reinforce lies about the world and about ourselves. So just to run through these quickly, so it provides a a two-by-two, a chart. I love charts. Whenever I realize there's two things here, I immediately start drawing a two-by-two. So Sorry if they come up too often, but I think it's extremely helpful just to give a grid to quickly kind of think through some of these things. So the first kind of, if we are in a community that has low grace and low truth, we'll find ourselves in consumeristic fellowships. These are groups that form based upon what others usually add to us. Uh, People become like a product that we consume. Oftentimes these are, we could also almost call this a clique This is where it's just about the same lifestyle or social status or class or aspirational lifestyle. And so we evaluate groups or people like we do consumer products based upon their popularity, their class, their attractiveness, their wealth, whatever it could be that adds to me or reflects well on me. Here's a, by the way, I have some quotes here. If uh, we wrote a book that uh, it's Disciplines, if you've ever used it. This comes from, we have this chart in there, and this is a quick breakdown for each of these. I'll, at the end, I'll give you, if you want to pick that up to go more into this and use it. But it says, consumeristic fellowship, a clique is fellowship built around extra or sub-biblical standards for belonging. Instead of Christ as the standard, our societal status, attractiveness, race, political affiliations, etc., will become the basis for our acceptance eventually the click reinforces a worldly identity deepening enslavement to it additionally if and when difficulties arise and we fall short of the group's arbitrary standards the group the community quickly falls apart there must be something outside of us outside us that holds us together when we don't have it together See, when we have groups, when we form relationships around just viewing others as almost like a consumable commodity, we, one, never commune, we only consume one another. Uh, But also, just this fiction is reinforced that others are in my life only to add to me, never to ask. It becomes kind of a self-oriented way of looking at relationships. It leads to the assumption that what makes people or me truly valuable is what they add to me. Now that might, and here's the problem with it, is it might actually work for a while. You might be able to kind of ascend to a certain group and be like, man, I'm part of the in crowd here. But then the problem is the entire time that you're in that group, it's reinforcing the fiction that what makes you Significant, what makes you belong, what makes you acceptable is you meeting whatever the arbitrary standards are of that group. And you live with this low grade fear and insecurity of what if one day I don't meet the standard? There's this constant fear that, oh, that's what actually gives me value. That's what actually why I belong. And I, I, I want to just hear, I'm going to hit this one just a little bit longer than the other ones because I want to emphasize here, I think this in a day and age, I was just listening, I've listened to a couple of things where I'm, I'm really intrigued by how uh, bots with AI rising are beginning to really replace a lot of human relationships. I, I think that we are in a time where now we, we are more and more able to have relationships with something that always just meets whatever I think are my, my wants and my desires. And, and so it's much easier if you have something that seems very human, and I think they are going to become more and more human, that it's easier just to have lives and relationships with that than it is with human beings because human beings are actually messy. They have needs. They don't always just reinforce what I want, or what I think I need. And so it gets harder and harder to be in real relationships. So that's consumeristic, and so the question becomes, do you, have you found yourself forming relationships where you're doing it just because it adds to you, but there's this, this fear of there being any need or asking of you in that relationship? Some of the insecurities and the performance anxieties that are in your life may be being reinforced by the kind of community that you're forming and reinforcing. But the next, I'm going to call it cathartic fellowship. What if we then have low truth but then high grace? So now everyone's accepted, everyone can come in, but never say anything true or hard. So this is when groups where you can be open and vulnerable but always avoid speaking truth. Although this is how to describe it, although community should be a place where we can be vulnerable, honest, and attempt to help one another through life's struggles, it becomes a problem when we overemphasize the experience of sharing our failures without turning to Christ and pursuing a life of obedience. In short, cathartic fellowship is all grace and acceptance with little or no consideration or application of truth. This usually results in cathartic release of pent-up emotions, which feels good in the moment but leads to little change because none is pursued. Often the mantra is, you are fine where you are. And while the sentiment is well intended, oftentimes we are not fine where we are and there are consequences for staying there. Instead, we are called to confess our sins and then move towards life in Christ. To Remain therapeutic results in a lack of transformation. See, the fiction that this is kind of where we go, we have communities where it's like, I, I want a place where I'm supported. I want a place where I can be affirmed, but I never want to be challenged. But see, the thing is, the reason, part of the reason why God puts others in our life is because they give a perspective. They see our blind spots. They're able to speak into things that perhaps we're not seeing because what happens is we often bring our own kind of self-narratives and we demand that they are affirmed by everyone around us. And then what happens is those communities fall apart the moment that someone won't. Perhaps if you see yourself jumping from group to group to group from kind of... Uh, City to city to city, from church to church to church, ask yourself, are you demanding cathartic fellowship where you get the emotional release? But the moment that there's pushback or there's a, there's a hard question or a challenging, immediately it's like, I'm, I'm going to jump ship. You will never experience deep life transformation and fellowship. The next one then is contractual fellowship. This is kind of very close to the consumer, but this is when you have high truth. So that those both were low truth, but we just need truth. But what about if you get a lot of truth and no grace? And a lot of us are going, ah, oh, I've been there. This can sneak up on us in the, tr- in the church. It's kind of the pendulum swing. Oh, we're going to bring in truth, right? And then, so it's like step on up, and you got like a baseball bat of truth, and you're like, come on in for fellowship, Right? So, contractual, the reason why I call this is it's fellowship where the aspirational value is something like holiness, having right theology, coupled with high moral or moralistic expectations. These groups are all truth, little grace. What is more, these aspirations serve as an implicit contract. This is why I call it contractual. We can be in fellowship so long as you meet the terms and conditions we've agreed to. If you fall short of the terms, the relationship is terminated. The problem is that no one is perfect and we need grace at some point. As a result, most people in this group will fake it till they make it, pretending to have it all together lest they be removed or reduced to a second-class citizenship. Often due to the relational coldness that permeates contractual environments, they will be mere Bible studies. This can even happen with something good, like studying Scripture. Examining Scripture and theology with few relational touch points, kind of pharisaical. Of course, we should be eager to learn more about Scripture. Of course, a thousand times. However, while contractual fellowships are informative, they often fail to be transformative. See, the fiction that reinforces that others are my life to agree with me never need me. There's no place for admitting weakness. And what happens in these groups over time is we begin to think it's better to fake it till we make it or just pretend. And there, there becomes this gap in our soul where what's being reinforced around us is that it's all about truth. And if we're honest with ourselves, the truth of us is I am not holy. I'm not meeting all the expectations that God has for me. But when I come into this group, it's we are holy and everyone's pretending like they're holy to one another. And before long, you begin to think, then I guess this just isn't for me. And every truth, instead of landing with God's love and God's grace, lands just like stones slowly weighing you down. It's important to recognize all three of these distortions provide something we need. There's an inner logic to why we pursue these groups. There's an inner logic to why we do Create these types of groups. There's something that we're seeking. There's usually also something we're avoiding. Sometimes it's because of past pains or experiences in groups. It's because because our families kind of malformed us for community. There's all kinds of reasons why these things happen. But they, they do bring that sense of belonging or safety or, or like scripture study and knowledge. Those are good things that we do need. But each overemphasizes or minimizes grace or truth. We need both. And when we have both, it's deeply transformative. So what does it look like when both are there? It's life-giving. It's covenantal fellowship. Covenantal is this biblical term that means that There is not just a desire for what I want in this relationship, but in fact, I'll I'll put the needs of the relationship. Those are above my individual desires. I sublimate my individual wants and desires for the good of the group. It's like in a marriage is is our perfect picture in our culture of what covenant looks like. it's, It's not meant to just be a contract that says, if my wife says, honey, Uh, I don't know, your hair is falling out. So therefore, you didn't live up to the contract, I'm out. You're not attractive anymore. That's not how a a marriage works. Well, a good marriage. Let me (laughs) put it that way. But instead, it would be you're in sickness and in health and richer for poorer. As we age and our bodies grow frail, that in the midst of that, that I put my wants and desires, I sublimate them to relationships that I'm there and I extend grace and seek reconciliation. Covenantal fellowship is true biblical fellowship because it maintains a high emphasis on both truth and grace. These groups balance the truth of who we are in Christ and the implications for our lives and the understanding that it is all by grace which we extend to one another. Because both grace and truth are valued, these groups best mirror the covenantal relationship God has with us, putting the needs of others and the relationship between us above individual wants or desires. Members are not rejected, apparently, we're being bombed. Uh, members are not rejected if they fail, nor if they need, have needs that call upon us to sacrifice for their benefit. Instead, we understand that we are united in Christ as a family, serving one another as he first served us. Do you realize that in our relationships with one another, we get to be the hands, tangible hands, the tangible heart of Christ, serve one in, serving one another as he first served us, extending grace See, additionally, because the relationships have a strong foundation of grace, rooted in truth, they can challenge and encourage. Because as they push with truth, grace and love naturally follows. See, covenantal fellowship; these these are highly relational and transformational. And it reinforces this truth that. And here here's something. I, if nothing else, write this down: others need me, and I need others. Others need me, and I need others. See, one of the things is not only I I needed to be in a group because I I need others around me, but here's the other thing. Some of you are avoiding being in groups and committing, and it's actually hurting those in the groups that need you. They need your gifts. They need your strength. You need their gifts. You need their strengths. Where you are weak, they are often strong. Where Where they are weak, you are often strong. And we are meant to have these kinds of relationships that that pursue truth and take hold of truth and work out truth and wrestle with truth while also applying the grace of God to one another and, and banding together, saying this world is not all there is. Living for this world is not all there is. And the identities of this world is not all it's about. But we are about pursuing the kingdom of God, of seeing Christ formed in one another and seeing us take hold of that eternal life and knowing that we're just this merry band that's traveling through in the midst of the hardships and the joys and the ups and downs of life. That's what we see here in Acts 2. So the question becomes, how do we do that? So lastly, how groups reinforce what is true. And, and let me just, I, I should have asked this question. One of the, the questions to ask, maybe ponder later, if you drew that quad, those quadrants, that two by two, just which quadrant do you find yourself in and why? Like, Don't, don't just say, I find myself here, or I've been a part of groups and they just do it this way and they're so bad, right? Like, ask yourself, like, how are you helping reinforce that? Like, is there something you're bringing that's helping to reinforce that? Like, think about the inner logic of your soul of how you're getting there, why you're getting there. But how do we do groups that that reinforce what is true? So, this is how we think of groups here at Anthem because we want to help we, want, we think that you need a group, a, a group of people that reinforce what is true so that you would know, love, and obey Jesus. And so we have groups that try to orient around those rhythms of know, love, and obey. And, and they reinforce who we are. First, what we said before, we are worshipers. We are worshipers. Look again at verse 42. It says they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, that there's teaching. When we gather as groups, we gather around God's word. And, but we don't just gather around God's word, just to kind of like sit around and go, what's that say? It says this. And it's like, what's the right answer? Jesus. You're like, very good, right? And that's all it is. And it's just kind of like Bible answer time. There's nothing, there's re- we need times like that. But also what we need, like for instance, when we gather here, this is why with uh, our, our small groups on the community side, what we do is our groups, we, we gather around to kind of look at the passage, kind of remind about what the passage is about, but kind of taking one thing and really going into the implications of it. Literally, the sermons here are designed. If you want to know how the sermons are designed here, I know it's probably boring to a lot of you, but I, it's usually like, okay, what's the big thing the passage is saying? And then after, what's the big thing the passage is saying? How are we made for that? What are the ways we distort that? And then after that, what's the way that God redeems it? And then when we go into our small groups, then we work out the implications or application of that. It, it's meant to flow right into it. This is why they're discussing the apostles' teaching, like there's teaching that they're getting in the gathering, and then they're discussing how do we live this out. And so what we do is we don't just gather around, but we go, how do I work that into my soul, and how do we support one another in living this out, and what are the calls of obedience in our lives with this truth? And so we're people who gather around God's word to not, so that we don't just become like the fictions of this world, which is just you do you, live by your own opinion, and thou go well. It will not. We must live by God's truth and what God says is true of the world and who we are. And as we come together to discuss these things and ask questions and, and understand it and apply it to our lives, that truth becomes embedded into our souls. But then it also says that there's this fellowship that they have. And, and I want to fellowship. There are a lot of different ways we could go. I, I want to hit an, a unique angle here. Something about when we're in groups with one another. What does that fellowship look like? I, I think one of the things when it's around truth is that that fellowship looks like reinforcing to one another aspects of God that you would never see outside of a relationship with that person or that group of people. C.S. Lewis, I first realized this, uh, C.S. Lewis has a part in his book, The Four Loves, where he talks about the death of a friend, where he realized after the death of that friend, they had the inklings, this group, they all nerds have a name for their group of friends and so they were the inklings and they would get together and talk about nerdy stuff and when they did then he found when one of them died that they lost a piece he lost a piece of all the rest of his friends because that friend helped him see something of that other friend he says this in each of my friends there is something that only the other friend can bring out fully by myself i am not large enough to call the whole man into activity i want other lights than my own to show all his facets Now that Charles is dead, I shall never see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Caroline, which is a certain form of Charles, joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition with each has of God. For Every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says the old author, is why the seraphim and Isaiah's vision are crying holy, holy, holy to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall all have. Your group isn't just for you. you. Your group needs you. You need your group. And the re- part of the reason why is because there are facets of God that you will see in one another that God has, that's why he's gifted you with one another. There are ways that some of you will tear up and move towards prayer, that they will see a unique facet of God's character and care. There are ways that some of you will be able to give insights and articulate what's, what's found in the text and kind of simplify it so that people grab hold of it and it just like sinks immediately into their heart. There, there are ways that some of you can discern by asking questions. There's the way that some of your eyes will light up at certain things. There, there are ways that some of you, in the way you serve, in the way you, you belly laugh or snort when something is said in the group, that people see something of the delight in the character of God. In groups, God gifts us with this mere all these different facets of himself in fellowship with one another when we gather around truth. It's part of the awe that we have. And it says then that there's a breaking of bread and prayers. Listen, your group, uh, it's groups aren't God. <laughs> groups aren't God. The breaking of bread and prayers, we come around the breaking of bread, because Jesus is saying, I'm the one who gives the way. You must come to me. There's a fellowship under our fellowship we need, a fellowship with God. And Jesus says that when you when you have that fellowship with me and that life in me, then you can find that healthy life with one another. It is gathering around that truth. It's gathering around the fact that it is Christ's sacrifice and the truth of that in his life that is the source of our life. And that leads to prayer. That leads because the breaking of bread, realize you're a reconciled sinner, I'm a reconciled sinner. So therefore, why are we holding one another to account or not willing to forgive one another? We move towards reconciliation and then we're also praying for one another in the midst of a culture of fictions, of its only competition. We are a people who don't contend against, but of people who contend for by going before the Lord and praying for one another. Your burdens are my burdens, my burdens are your burdens, and we bring those before the Lord with one another, and there are times when, of course, in our life where we just feel like I can't walk, like I, I can't move forward, where you have others who come around you who support you and lift you up and walk with you in that truth. The next is that love, that there's this family identity that we have. Verse 44 through 46, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with generous, glad, and generous hearts. They had all things in common. Open hearts lead to open hands. When we open our hearts to one another and reconciled, it will lead to open hands. It says that they had all things in common. This isn't top-down, you know, debate around economic systems and Marxism, whatever, communism. No, this is just saying that what the gospel produces in us are people who are not like this because God has been like this with us. And so it does mean that we're a people who when others have needs, when they need meals, when they need finances, when they need, when they need to borrow a car, when they, we are open with our stuff because we desire, we see that God is just channeling to them a blessing through me and I get to be a part of it. Do you have others? Here's the thing. Are you close enough to know those needs? Are you willing to ask and draw out those needs? Because one of the things that God could be doing in your life through a group and reinforcing what is most true is that your stuff is not just your stuff. It's his stuff. And so are there relationships that you have where you're willing to have that? And it says they, they share meals. One of these ways, too, that's fun, is just feast together regularly. They have it. There's hospitality and welcoming in the homes and having food and eating together and 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 it not it being this thing that breaks down class distinctions, being around a table of people that you would never think that you might be around the table of if you were just to go out into society and form a group. But it's a community of the redeemed of all different backgrounds and ages and and lifestyles, but then lastly, we have this obey aspect of following Jesus, and we become it reinforces missionary that we're missionaries. Community, look at verse forty-seven: praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved see what happens when we experience this is there is a praise in our soul an experience of what we have in community that overflows and what happens is all those around you will see a different kind of community listen to listen one of the most powerful witnesses you can have is to actually cultivate healthy gospel-centered godly christ-pursuing community whether it's meeting in your home, you're then meeting up in coffee shops, I believe with where everything is going society-wide, where everyone is isolated, everyone is lonely, even the Surgeon General is saying it, we, everyone is pining for what does it truly mean to be a human being in relationship to other human beings. And when they see how you relate, they go, there's something there that I'm longing for that I can't find because there's a purpose to what you're doing. There is meaning behind what unites us. All the trite things of this world, they're just kind of pushed to the side for the main thing of Christ. And there's something in their soul when they see it. They say, why can't I find that anywhere else? In Christian community, they see what it means to be truly human and to be truly human with other truly human beings. Because again, as we saw the first sermon in this series, discipleship in Christ is learning to be truly human He shows us what we're made for. He leads us there, and he does it with one another. And it's such a powerful witness. And one of the things in our groups is we're often praying for those in our our lives. And then you open up your, your, your dinner table, and you have over those coworkers you're praying for with other people in your community, and you just kind of share those relationships, play ball with them, whatever your thing is. You invite them in, it overflows, and that's why many were being added to their number because they see something and it's magnetic. So, in closing, what are the next steps? What are next steps you could take? Two, quickly. One is make a commitment. If you have not made commitment to a group, if, if you're in, in SALT, if you're in the college side, to find a group and commit to being in that group. If you're on community side, and to make a commitment to a group. I'll give instructions during the benediction of how to get connected with a group, but to identify a group and commit to that. You will not find fellowship if you won't commit to a specific people. And, and one of the, the ways we have community groups here, and I just explained the rhythms of what we do in those groups regularly. Sometimes we gather around God's word. Sometimes we have meals together. Sometimes it looks like something that's more missionary, and we're like having a block party, inviting people in from our neighborhood or our friends, and we try to balance those out. But is there a group that you're a part of that's chasing after that? commit to it. And, and one of the things you might be saying right now, hey, I, my calendar is set for the fall. Like, you know, I kind of revamp things come like December, January going into the new year. Okay, I get it. Like, life life gets busy. Evenings are full, whatnot. We are in the winter. I'm just a little bit of a uh, uh, insight into where we're going, but I don't want to unpack the whole thing. But in the winter, we are in the community side. We're going to have more, like, Uh, instead of just community groups in the evenings, but D groups, which are smaller groups that are like three, four, five uh, male and female groups. And we're going to be rolling that out in the winter. Those will largely probably be in the mornings and whatnot. So if you have not been able to find a community group and you're looking for one, and that sounds more like what you'd be looking for, then those will be coming this winter. Just be prepared to make a commitment to be in a group. But with making a commitment, you do have to commit to a frequency of attendance. Listen, deep relationships are not formed through sporadic presence. There there are a lot of good reasons why sometimes we miss, but again, none of those reasons are good for us. To form deep relationships, there has to be consistency of presence. And so it does mean if you committed to a group, I would say then the next step for you might be to commit to how often the frequency of your attendance or being there in relationship. And it might even be not just, it's just Tuesday night or just Wednesday night, but it might be also trying to do life together in other ways to incorporate those individuals into your life. And then third, I'd say commit to a duration with the group. Don't, don't go to a group, try it out for just like one time and be like, yeah, not for me. Like, it's probably going to be awkward, Every time I walk into a room for the first time, I say awkward things. It's always awkward, right? And so it's probably going to be the first. It's going to take a timer, two or three. And so commit to a duration as you find a group in order to build that commitment. Now, the, the second part is just to make it healthy. This would be for the groups that exist right now. The, the question would be, and we'll send out something that you as your group leaders, you, you can decide in your own discretion when they do this with your group, but kind of a workshop where you could walk through and say, how could we be growing more as worshipers? How could we be growing more, perhaps, as family? How could we be growing as missionaries? And all of us, we could ask, in our relationships, are there ways that we're just becoming all kind of head knowledge, and we're just studying God's word together? Are there ways that we could lo- lean into being more family in some of those rhythms? Or are there ways that we could lean into and do more of what it looks like to be missionaries, or to seek others, or to just serve together in some way? And so all those kind of round out so it's healthier community. So we'll send out some of that to group leaders and you can in your own discretion because you all each know where your group is at and you can kind of apply that and go through that with your group. But here's an ending. We are made from community for community and we need a group to do life with that reinforces what is true. We all do. I need it, you need it. So don't settle for ways of doing relationships that reinforce fictions, but that take hold of both truth and grace. And the question is, what is your next step? what's your next step? We are, fe- we are worshipers, we are family, we are missionaries, and we reinforce that by committing to a group and discover not only true fellowship with one another, but in doing so, a deeper fellowship with the one who created us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you for these truths. Lord, we ask that you would just show us what the next step would be Lord, in, in, the, in the groups that we have in our life, that fellowship that we have in our life, what are the steps we need to take? Whether it's just, whether it's with groups here in Anthem or even outside of Anthem. Lord, I just pray that each of us would have that sense of a group around us who walks with us, that, that merry band who's about pursuing Christ, about pursuing the kingdom. And they, they support us, they challenge us, they're there. They walk with us and remind us and reinforce what is most true of who you are and what you've done and who we are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.